Welcome to episode 7 of the Mixtape Podcast, the podcast dedicated to deconstructing the films that we love from a screenplay writer's perspective. I'm your host, as usual. My name is Marcelo Inestroza, and I'm joined, as always, by my shaman of death, the person that physically is sucking the 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 love and joy that I have for Hollywood out of my soul by every conversation we have. Anyway, that's not important. I'm trying to teach him that Hollywood is corrupt as fuck. <laughs> I'm trying to teach him that. Okay, just so everybody's clear. She is succeeding, guys. So don't worry about that. Anyway, uh, you've heard her already. You've heard her multiple times on this podcast. I like to welcome my friend uh, Dean Stark. On today's program, we are going to be talking about. Um, one of my ch- one of my favorite films from childhood, uh, <clears throat> 1994's The Last Starfighter. Before we start, I have a question for you, Dean. Why do we keep doing this to ourselves? Why do we keep picking movies that are fucking dear to us? Why do we do this? I don't know why. I don't know where we is coming from because all these picks are your picks. These are not my picks. They're your picks. So maybe you should be looking in the mirror and asking yourself, why do I want to fuck my life up? Why do I want to fuck my childhood up to drag Dean along with me? Why? This is the question you probably should be asking. I don't know. Maybe it's just maybe it's just I like pain and suffering. You do. I know you do. I know you do. I don't. You do. Dean, you want to kick us off? Yes, so this week, like my lovely co-host said, even though he tells me I'm the shaman of death, which sounds fucking bad. It sounds fucking bad. But anyway, we're doing The Last Starfighter, which was not released in 1994, as my lovely co-host thinks. It It was released in 1984. It is directed by Nick Castle, and I just want to give a shout out to the composer Craig Safan, or Safan, I don't know how you pronounce it, and we'll get into him in a bit. So, The Last Starfighter. High schooler Alex Rogan, conquers the last Starfire, Starfighter video game, only to find out it was just a test, and he's transported to another planet as a recruit to join a team of the best Starfighters to defend their world from attack. Now, this is, like Marcelo said, it's one of my favourite childhood movies as well, Um the opening scene I really liked because I have a th- I okay I have a thing with unnecessarily long opening credit sequences in movies and in TV shows I can't I skip it I don't care who produced it I don't care who the fucking art director was I I don't care some people care yes I don't care studios and production companies think people want to sit through 10 minutes of fucking credits of people that listen if people want to see credits they stay after the movie after the movie you got all those fucking credits okay before the movie please don't do this but this movie this movie has opening credits I love them it's not a nostalgic thing it's they tell you who you need to know. It's quick. It's only a couple minutes. But the reason I love it is because instantly we're in out of spa- outer space. So it's like, okay, you know this is kind of a sci-fi space movie. And then you've got, you know, The Last Starfighter. It says kind of who's in it, who directed it, who wrote it, all that. But the music, this is why I brought up the composer, Craig Safin. The music is epic. It's kind of like Star Wars, but in a different epic way. I just, I love 
the music in this movie? Do you love the music? Do you do? You, I mean, it gets me into it. It's like, oh, okay. It's like, uh, I don't know. It just it, it it gets me into the whole eighties sci-fi feeling. Do you do you get that with the music in this movie? For those of you who are listening at home, she's not lying. She cannot sit through an opening credit sequence or a main title sequence together. What's Guys, the point? Is, What's the point in having is, 10 minutes of fucking credits nobody cares about? Get into the show. Get into it. That's it. Ask The opening credits to uh, this film are very, very, very Star Wars-y. But the thing that I really noticed while I was watching the film today in preparation for this conversation is that the credits or, or the music over the credits is like if Star Wars was a lullaby, right? And, and if it wasn't so verbose and, it, and if it wasn't so John Williams in your face, I, that's how these opening credits to this film sound to me. And it just lulls you into a false sense of security. And, uh, the opening sequence with going through space and then, you know, ending up, you know, landing in the trailer park. The director does a really good job at showing you what Alex, what Alex's life is at the trailer park. And he does a really good job at introducing all of um, the early principal characters that we're going to get to know for like the first 30 to 40 minutes of the film before Alex, you know, goes into space. So, I really like that because that um, that really continues something that we like on the podcast show don't tell, and a lot of directors don't do that. And it was really really telling that this film was handled with a sense of respect and care, just for that aspect alone. I I agree with everything you said. The setup of this movie is so good. It's such good writing and directing. Like you said, the first scene is in the trailer park. So you know exactly where you are, but it, it, he, the director does this thing where he kind of, he walks through the trailer park. He goes past the trailers and he goes past the people and the people are saying hello and this and this, and you get a sense of everybody's kind of personality as the camera kind of, kind of walks past them. And you get a real sense of community. You get a sense of like, they're not rich. They don't have everything, but they have each other, which I think is a really amazing kind of um, thing to put put forth in a movie that you kind of don't need money to make happy to make yourself happy. These people have nothing, but they're happy. They're all happy. There's not one person in this trailer park that's a dick. That's like, oh fuck this, I fucking hate it. Blah blah blah. blah. We'll get to Alex's personality in a sec, but he's. I don't think he's like that. Um, but I really, really love that. And that's literally within the first two minutes of the movie. It's like, okay, we're in a trailer park. We're not rich. We're poor. We have a sense of community. Everybody likes each other. And then we follow a character called Maggie, which is the main character's kind of girlfriend. So we follow her and we go, okay, so she's kind of in the movie because the camera stops going through the trailer park and kind of focuses on her. So Maggie kind of walks through, says hello to everyone. Everybody loves her. She loves everybody else. So you're like, okay, she's a well-liked character, again, showing, not telling. And then Maggie comes up to a person who we don't really know who it is yet, it's kind of an older lady and she asks, where's Alex? And we don't know who Alex is yet. And the woman who we find out is Alex's mom a little bit in a few more scenes says, where else? And so I love that line of dialogue. 
because it kind of sets up when she says where else, like wherever he is, whatever he's doing, he does it a lot. He's there all the time. And just by that little piece of dialogue, you go, oh, okay. You don't even know what he's doing yet, but you know that he does it a lot, which sets up um, everything that kind of goes forth in the movie. Uh, what say you? What are your thoughts on that? Maggie is kind of your anchor point into meeting your main character of the story, which in this case is Alex. And I really like how um, I just have I just have one more note about the whole milieu about the trailer park. For some reason, is it just me or is this trailer park in the middle of like a rural, a rural community where you see like other houses or something? Because it, it's not like in the middle of nowhere, but it, it it just seems like it's in the middle of a um it's just like it, it seems like it's in the middle of like a rural suburb community. Do you get that at all? Well, the thing is, I didn't find that weird because when I was younger, I have been to a few trailer parks like, you know, on holidays and not a not on holiday to trailer parks, but just kind of passing through trailer parks on the way to where we need to go because everywhere takes fucking ages to get anywhere in Australia. <laughs> So you have to have stops on the way. So stopping off and staying at a trailer park kind of overnight is just kind of, you just, here you just kind of do it. So I've been to a few trailer parks and they, they are like that. They are kind of in the middle of nowhere in rural areas on the offbeat track. Um, and, and it's kind of set up like that. There's trailers and then that's it. And you kind of just self-sufficient. So when I saw that set up to me, it made sense because I've been in trailer parks and I've seen how they are. So I, for personally, I didn't think it was kind of, I didn't think it was weird. As far as, as far as using Maggie as the anchor point to meet Alex, and you are so right, that line of dialogue when Maggie's, when Maggie speaks to Alex's mother and she goes, and she says, where else could he be? That really tells us two things. Alex is there a lot. And also that hints at the fact that Alex isn't happy with his place in life and he wants to remove himself. He wants to remove himself from his current situation, but we're going to, we're going to learn more about him and we're going to learn more about his reasons as to why he wants to leave the trailer park. But that's a wonderful, wonderful setup that the writer of the film did just in one or two lines there. Yep. So the next scene we see Alex and we see him playing an arcade and oh fucking, I love this old school eighties. I mean, it was mainly eighties. So of course it is, but, now you don't see like a lot of arcade places they're they're closed so you don't see many arcade games so watching this movie and see him playing like a big boxy arcade games which i used to play like all the time when i was little he was so awesome and he's playing an arcade game called starfighter and he's good at it you kind of see him playing it and he's quite good at it and you're like oh okay and you know he's not he's not the best at it but he's pretty good at it so far and then kind of Maggie comes up and she's got a towel with her and she's got like a picnic basket and she's like oh okay we're going now he's like cool let's go so he kind of goes up into the road and a truck full of his friends you know all young because Alex is maybe like 18 19 getting ready to go to college and you know they're going to some place called Silver Lake and he goes to get in the truck and then his mum comes up to him and, and kind of says, you know, um, this needs to be fixed and that needs to be fixed. And so you're like, oh, okay. So he's kind of like the resident handyman, fixes everything, helps everybody out because most people in this community are kind of older and so they can't really 
manage to do a lot of the stuff that he can do. And, you know, he's like, mom, I really want to go. And she says, well, you know, I'm sorry, like we need your help here. And he kind of goes, you know, oh, fine, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll stay here and I'll help. And, you know, his, his friends in the truck are kind of giving him shit because they, they're the kind of, kind of rural, I don't want to say hillbillies cause that's kind of sounds like derogatory, but they're kind of like hillbillies where it's like, that's, that's who they are for all their life. They, they born, they grow up and they die in kind of the same place. They don't want any other life, but he has a conversation in the car before he goes to um, where his mum's kind of asking him to go. And, you know, they're saying, oh, you want to get out? You want to be a big city boy? And he's like, I'm not staying here. Like, I don't want to stay here. I don't want to be like you. I I want a life. I want to see the world. I want to experience things. And they're kind of laughing at him like, yeah, okay, you think you're going to get out? You're not going to get out. Like, this is where you're going to be for the rest of your life. And he's just like, no, it's not it's not, it's not going to be it. And I really loved that. I really love those two scenes because you get a sense of when his mom asks him, can you please stay here for the day instead of going out with your friends and fix these things? And he says, yes. So you get a sense that he has responsibility. He's not a dickhead. He's not the kind of kid that goes, fuck you. I'm going to go have fun with my friends. You deal with it. He's, he's mature. He's, he's an adult. He understands that it's more important to sort of help people out and be within the community than kind of go and have fun with his friends. Even though he doesn't want to, even though he's torn, he still has that maturity about him and that responsibility that actually says a lot about his character and actually comes back later in the story when, you know, you do all this space stuff, you know, that's, that's in the story, but it sets up his character again by showing and, uh, and not telling. So you kind of know who she, who she is. You kind of know who he is. What are your thoughts on that? His responsibility is what keeps him there and what keeps him from possibly leaving the trailer park. But the, the way that the writer of this film wrote that, like you said, shows that he is a caring person. And as much as he wants to leave his current situation, it shows that he cares about these people in this community and he is stuck. He's, he, he's like a, he's like a rock between a hard place. He wants to go, but he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to disappoint these people that he grew up with and these people that care about him. So he is stuck. The other thing that he has is he has a Maggie problem because, uh, as I'm, because, you know, um, as I'm sure we're going to get to in this conversation, Maggie, at one point in the film, basically tells him, "Listen, I'm happy where I am. I don't want to leave my grand. I don't want to leave my grandmother, and I just want you to understand that." And Alex doesn't. Alex really hears it, but he doesn't get it. He he absorbs it, but for for some reason, to me, it, it he doesn't he doesn't quite understand it, and that and that uh, creates you know the giant rift between the two of them in the film. But I really like how you said it. Alex, Alex is, you know, Alex as a character is grown up, but it, it, the, the main thing that keeps him stuck there is his responsibilities to everyone else. That's the main reason why he can't get out and why he can't leave. The conversation that he has with Maggie, the one you just brought up, I love because like you said, he doesn't understand. She wants, she doesn't want to, she doesn't want change. 
Like she doesn't, or that's what it sounds like because he says to her, you're scared. It's not that you don't want it. It's just that you're scared of change. And she basically, you know, gets her guard up and says, you don't know what you're talking about, but it's true. She's scared. So he's in kind of two minds. Like he's, I don't know if he's confused because he gets her, like he gets that it's a scared thing, but also he's kind of thinking, why would you want to stay here? Like, why wouldn't you want to go and see the world? And people with that mentality, like, for example, I have that mentality. I want to go and see the world. I want to experience so many different things, but I know people who don't. They're happy. They're happy with their little lives. They're happy being born and living and dying in the same place with the same people, you know, their whole life. They're happy with that. It's something that I struggle to understand. So I kind of do, I, I, I do understand where he's coming from, but also he sees through her shit, which is, which will come back at the end. It's a nice little they didn't, the writer didn't have to do this, but Maggie has an arc and I like her arc. It's subtle. It's small. It's not as, as big as Alex's, but she does, she does have an arc. So the next scene, which is another perfect example of the writer and the director showing, not telling Alex goes into his bedroom. I, I always think to myself, if I write a character and they go into their bedroom, their bedroom has to say everything about them without saying everything about them. It has to have, and I'm not talking about the generic, oh, let's have like a a poster up of like Fleetwood Mac or fucking Lincoln Park. No, 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 no. It has to say something about their personality, their wants, their desires, their fears, their dreams. It has to have, it has to say everything about them. And his room is a perfect example of that because when you walk in, you see on the back of his door, he's got a beautiful beach. You see beside that, he's got the Eiffel Tower. So you know he wants to get out. You know that when his door is shut and he's looking at it, he stares at the beach. He stares at the Eiffel Tower. And then he sits down in his chair and he looks up. And when the camera pans up, he's got all these planets circling. So you know that he just doesn't want to get out. He wants to fucking get out. Now, he might not want to go to the stars, but he wants to. It's kind of like um, he. it's a metaphor for wanting to get the fuck away as far away from everything as possible. And then there's this beautiful scene that lasts for about a minute where the wind rushes in and it blows the, the, uh, the planets and it makes them kind of turn. And he kind of closes his eyes and looks at them and is kind of entranced by, by it kind of in his mind, he's not where he is. He wants to be somewhere else. And I, I absolutely love that scene. It's like a two minute scene, but it says so much again about his personality and his wants without actually telling the audience it, it shows us. Yeah. That's a really wonderful scene because like you said, as a, as a director or a screenplay writer, if you take your character into a space and if you can, if you can communicate everything that your character wants by visually showing us or, vis- or or physically writing it into the script, that is a skill that not a lot of storytellers slash directors have these days. I mean, most lazy fucking directors would have, uh, uh, you know, another character tell our main character, verbalize it, and that's lazy fucking writing. So the fact that you do see a poster of the Eiffel Tower on the back of Alex's door and when he, you know, when he sits down in his room and he sees the planets and he closes his eyes and all of a sudden the wind comes in and the and the and the little toy thing that he has hanging uh, in his room, uh, the planet starts spinning. I really connected with that scene because I spent half of my life in this fucking room that I'm in right now recording this podcast 
imagining all the shit that I'm going to do at some point in my life. I connected with that scene a lot. Yeah, it's a really, really, it's it's just a beautiful scene. So the next scene after that is a scene that pushes the story forward without you realizing it pushes the story forward. So he start, he decides, you know what, I'm going to go play the Starfighter game. So he's playing the game and he has a conversation with a friend of his named Otis. And Otis is probably one of my other favorite characters. Um, and he basically says, Otis is like, what's wrong? Like, you don't, you look down and he's saying, you know, nothing is, I never do anything for fun. I'm never, it's like, I'm not allowed to have fun. Nothing is ever for me. Everything is always for everybody else. Like, when is it going to be my time? When am I going to like do something for me? When am I going to, when are they going to let me be me and have fun? It's like, you know, and at that moment you kind of, you're like, Oh my God. Like you just feel so bad for him because you know that he, he's a good boy. He's not a, he's not a dick. He's a good boy. Even though he does things that he doesn't want to do. He knows that it's the right thing to do. He knows that responsibility comes before, you know, being a, an 18 year old, like he gets that, but also he's an 18 year old and he just wants to have fun. He wants to go out with his friends. He doesn't want to have this responsibility, but he can't, I think he feels like he can't get away from it. He can't get out of it. He can't, it's like when he tries to have fun, he can't have fun and he keeps being pulled back into this thing. And I love that conversation him and Otis have. And then as, and he's playing the game as he's saying it and he's beating it and he's beating it. And the high score starts going up and Otis looks at the screen and goes, Oh my God, you're going to hit the high score. And he's like, Whoa. And so Otis kind of yells and brings everybody in the trailer park over. And so everybody comes over and I love this scene. I adore this scene because everybody in that moment supports Alex, even though it's just a video game, it doesn't matter they support him. And when he's, when he's playing the game and he's killing the bad guys and he's killing the bad ships. And then the, you know, the Armada comes along at the end and they're like, this is it, Alex, this is it. And then he kills it and he breaks the high score and it says, congratulations, high score. And everyone in the community is there rallying around him and supporting him. I loved that scene because again, it gives you a sense of community. Like you, you don't have that kind of in the cities. Nobody cares. People only care when it kind of affects them. But this scene was so beautiful that they they genuinely cared. They genuinely gave a shit about him beating this game because they knew it meant a lot to him. And it was one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Um, I really like that scene in uh, uh, when Alex, you know, finally breaks the high score on the arcade game of The Last Starfighter because that scene really brought back a memory of when um, I was with a friend of mine and I actually beat Goldeneye um, for the first time on the N64. That scene of watching Alex and everybody and everybody in the trailer park be behind Alex, and it's just such a good scene. And it also shows, like you said, a sense of community and a sense of uh, and a sense of love and togetherness that that community does have. I wanted to circle back uh, to the way that Maggie feels about leaving the trailer park for just a moment. I really understand where Maggie's coming from because as much as I want to, as much as I want to, you know, break away from my family, I still have this thing in my soul where 
I want to be with my family. I want to make them proud of me. I want to, I, I love my family as much as, as much as they are dicks and as much as they are what they are. <laughs> I, I love my family, but then, you know, you know, but then another part of me is sort of kind of afraid to take the steps I need to take to break away. With that being said, I kind of understand where Maggie's coming from because that's where I am in my life now. The reason people are scared, like Maggie is in the movie, she's she's scared. She says that she's not, but it's a front. She's she's scared, and she's scared of the unknown. She's scared of change. She has everything provided for her there. She knows it. She's comfortable. Even though this is not her dream life, it's it's stable. It's there's it's a safety net. There's there's nothing really that can go wrong. And if it goes wrong, it's easily fixed because she's faced it before. Whereas if she leaves the trailer park and goes somewhere else. She, there's totally, it's a totally new environment, totally new people, totally new obstacles. And if something comes along, is she going to be able to handle it? Um, she doesn't have a safety net. Is she going to be able to do it on her own without the support of the community? Because in the beginning of the movie, you see that everybody loves her. Everybody knows her. Why would you want to leave that to go to a place where nobody knows you? And in the cities, it's not like that. You don't have that community. So from her perspective, I get it. From your perspective, I get it. My perspective is different. I, I'm i not like that. I, do, I don't have that. I used to, so I totally clock into what you're saying. I used to have that, but I don't have that. If, you know, if if I had to, to move countries or to do whatever, I, I would do it. I wouldn't be scared because every single time I go traveling on my own, which I love, every time I do it, I think, wow, this is it. This is what I want. I just want to to go places I've never been before, experience things I've never and and I know that my family will always be there and I know that my family will if if I struggle or if I fall or if I need anything they will be straight there. So I I do have I know I've got that safety net, but I know I'm kind of not going to need it either. I think my my um force within myself to change and to see the world and to experience everything overrides my fear. But I understand where you're coming from because I've been there and I understand where Maggie is coming from because I have been there also. And, you know, it you get out of it. You do. You get out of that fear. It 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 becomes what's the word? It it, it you get to a point where the fear dissipates, where your need to break out of where you are is more powerful than your fear is to stay. Okay, so after Alex has that amazing, like, high breaking the record, he goes home and he's on a high, he's happy, he's like, oh, man, I just broke the record, and then fucking his mum walks in and kind of gives him a look and she's and he's like, mom, I broke the record, and she's like, oh, yeah, you know, that's good, and you're like, oh, okay, there's some like this guy just can't catch a fucking break because you know there's bad news coming, and she pulls a letter. He's been waiting for a letter um, from uh, for a loan to go to to a college that he wants to go to, and she pulls a a letter out of her pocket saying that the postman, because it's a community, dropped it off at 
at her work. And the thing that I thought was funny was she goes, I couldn't wait. I opened it. And I was like, oh my God, if anybody opened my mail, I would be pissed. But I understand with him and his mom, it's not, it's not an issue, but with me, I'd be like, (laughs) don't touch my mail. That's my mail. So anyway, the look on her face kind of says it all. And he opens the envelope and he's gotten rejected for his loan. And that was kind of his out. That That's what he was waiting for. He was waiting for the loan so he could apply for the school he wanted to in another state, in another um, another city, um, and get out of, of where he is. That was his thing. And he's just been told, you don't have a loan. And without the loan, he can't go anywhere. And his mum looks at him and she says, you can still go to city college with your friends. And it just makes him feel even fucking worse because that's not what he wants, because that's what everyone in that town does. They go to community college, they meet someone, they marry, they have, you know, like he doesn't want to be there anymore. And so you just feel so fucking bad for him. Like he just, he can't get a break. He's down on his luck, but he's a good guy. So like you like him, you want him to succeed. And that's what the movie has done. And this is all just the set up, right? We haven't even gotten to the movie yet. You've, you've set up, you've set him up. Like you get behind him. You don't want him to, you want him to get out. You know that he's miserable. And it's just like, he, you can see his mind shift to, oh my God, I'm never getting out of here. Like you can just, you can see the switch within him and it, you just feel terrible. And then he just decides to go for, for a walk to clear his head and, as he's on the walk, this is when the inciting incident happens. This is when the story gets pushed forward full force. I think this is about 20, 25 minutes into the movie, I think. He goes for a walk and he, he hears something behind him and he turns around and there's a car that looks eerily like a DeLorean. <laughs> it's not, but it is because you've got that side. It's silver and it's got that like side door that goes up and just a little it's side. A DeLorean. Yeah, yeah. And just a little side note, the director wanted, it's on purpose, it looks like a DeLorean. Like he says he wanted it to be like DeLorean-esque, but obviously he didn't want to rip it off because he didn't want to get sued. But he he said he wanted it to look like it, so that's why it kind of of looks like it. Um, And he turns around, this door opens, and he's kind of like, what? And you're kind of like, what? Because... So far, if you don't know anything about this movie, you just think it's about some guy who plays a video game and he's down on his luck. And then suddenly this like space car comes up behind him. And I remember watching it as a kid because I didn't know what it was. There weren't trailers. You couldn't go on YouTube. You just kind of looked at the movie and goes, oh, okay, cool. And so when that happened, I was like, whoa, what's this? This looks like Back to the Future. And so he kind of, he kind of goes up to the car, goes, you know, who is this? And this guy you know, steps out and he's like, who the hell are you? He goes, oh, I'm, I'm Centauri. And he's like, what? <laughs> who the fuck are you? <laughs> and then he goes, and then he, he says, um, he goes, I'm the, I'm the inventor of the Starfighter machine that you've been playing. And he's like, oh, okay. He goes, oh, you, you broke the world record. He goes, oh, okay, cool. And it's, you can kind of see in his mind that he's like, wow, that's kind of weird that the inventor so fast has come here just wanting to congratulate me. And then he kind of says, you know, get in the car, get in the car. And Alex is like, okay, I'll get in the car. And you can still see he's like, he doesn't know what to do and he's confused and he kind of gets in the car and he turns around. There's someone sitting next to him and they're in silhouette. So you can, you can't see who they are. And Alex puts his hand out to shake this, whoever it is hand. And this guy shakes his hand and there's like a spark that happens like a, like an electric shock. And he's like, shit. And this guy gets out of the car and Alex is like, who's, 
like who the fuck is that not that he says that because it's an 80s movie but he's like who's that and then the door shuts and the driver centauri kind of accelerates and you're like okay what is going on and then he accelerates up 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 and now you're in out of space and i love that scene because it's just fucking comes out of nowhere the thing that the writer did brilliantly like you said we spend the first what 30 to 40 minutes of this movie getting a really good understanding of what Alex wants having, you know, having, having obstacles, you know, in Alex's way and we see how he reacts. And then we also see that he's a gamer, right? And then he is actually given the opportunity to break out and leave his current environment. But the opportunity that, that he's, that he is given is this crazy wackadoo opportunity. So I really love how the setup of this movie ultimately gives Alex what he wants, but not in the way that he thinks. So I really, really love that. With the with the space DeLorean, with Centauri, and the replacement robot that gets left behind to, you know, uh, to replace Alex while he's, you know, fighting in the stars is really, really cool. But I, I love how this movie changes the second Alex meets Centauri, enters the car, and goes to uh, Starfighter Command. Yeah, I I mean, the movie just switches. And so we're in outer space. Alex is in the back of the car, the DeLorean. Centauri is, is driving, I guess. Do you drive in space? Flying it? Whatever the fuck he's doing. And you can see on Alex's... It? Navigating it, yeah. And so you can see on Alex's face he kind of thinks he's asleep and he but he doesn't like he's confused right because watching this movie you would think oh my god you would be freaking out but he the actor does it so well and the direction is so well that you understand where Alex is coming from because he doesn't believe that what's happening is happening he doesn't think it's real so he thinks he's asleep or he's hallucinating or he doesn't really know what's going on. So he's really calm. And I, I like that he's calm because the director could have made his character freak out, but he doesn't. And I think if he freaked out, it would take a lot away from it because I, I, I just like the reaction that, that he has. Also, I really appreciate that when Alex gets into the car and, he, and you know, and Centauri shoots, shoots it off into space, there's absolutely no explanation as to what the fuck is happening here. There's none. And when Alex gets to Starfighter Command, he doesn't really get an explanation as to what the fuck is happening either until the translator device is put on his lapel. And I really think if this movie was made today, there would have been a giant exposition dump the second Alex got into the car to let the audience know what the fuck is happening right now. But I really, really appreciate that the director and this and the writer of this film let that happen until Alex got to Starfighter Command. He got the translator put on his lapel and he went into, he went into the briefing. I really like their I, I really like the fact that they waited to tell us what the fuck is happening here. And they let us be confused with Alex for a lot longer than for a lot longer than the filmmakers and the writers would have today. Exactly. If the movie was made today, 
huge exposition dump straight away. I love what they did here. I agree with you 100%. I love how they let us be confused with him. It's like we're him. It's like the director wanted to put us in Alex's place and just be really confused. And I like that, but it didn't the director didn't let it go on so. You know how some movies let they go, "Oh, we're going to we're going to confuse the audience," but then they let it go on for so long that you just get frustrated. He did it. The director did it for the perfect amount of time. And then when he told us what was going on, it was like, oh, okay. So anyway, there's a scene I really like when he's in the car before they get to Starfighter Command. And he's sitting in the back and he's kind of quiet. And you see from Alex's perspective, Centauri take out his eyeballs and he's like polishing them. <laughs> and at that point, you're like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> it's like, what is happening? And then he turns around and he's an alien. And you're like, what? Like as a kid like this you're like oh my god this is the coolest thing ever and so you get a sense of because you didn't you didn't really think of aliens like you think okay there's a car that goes in space but then when he turns around and he's an alien you're like oh my god and that kind of sets up when he does get to the command base because literally everybody he's the only human there and I really really like that scene where he just he just casually takes his eyeballs out and just polishes them um I I thought that was so funny that scene also sets up something else. If it, it sets up that he can do that, and it sets up his famous handkerchief that will come into play later on in the movie in another awesome, wonderful thing that's going to happen. So I, so I thought that scene serves two purposes: to, sh- to you know, to show us that this guy isn't human, that he is in fact a robot, but that does something else. Uh, that scene lays a hat on the ground for something else that comes way later down the road that is really really satisfying i thought yeah exactly i agree with you so now we land on the base uh we land um on the base that is the starfighter base but it is the planet uh we find out rylos and he gets out of the car um, on the base and he kind of Centauri fucks off. So Centauri fucking goes away. Doesn't tell him. He's like, Hey, bye. And like, if that was me, I'd be like, what, where the fuck are you going? So anyway, Alex is kind of wandering around going, I don't know what to do. And then suddenly this guy gives him like a, a suit to put on and he's like a starfighter suit. And he's like, um, yeah, I'm not supposed to be here. And he can't, like you said, like he can't understand anybody. And like everybody speaks alien and everybody's like a different species of alien. And so everybody's trying to talk to him and he's like, I don't know what's going on. Like he's so confused. And like you said, we're confused with him until this lady alien puts a um, translated device on his, his lapel. Um, and, you know, now everybody speaks English because he's got the translator on. He's like, oh, okay. But even then it's kind of confusing because he kind of starts asking questions about where am I, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, I digress, okay? That's another scene coming up. There's a scene in between that which I love and it freaked me the fuck out when I was a kid and it kind of still freaks me out now. So Alex is on the base. We go back to the trailer park and we see Maggie and he knocks on Alex's door, bedroom door, and she goes in and she kind of sees like a like a body under the sheets, but you can't see who it is. And she's like, "Oh, Alex, blah blah blah." But like she's trying to she's trying to talk to him, and he's not talking back. Like, "Oh, I heard about the loan." Blah 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 blah. He goes, "Oh, just I'll I'll, I'll leave you alone. I'll leave you alone." And then as soon as she walks out, um, the blanket comes off, and or you see, it's just this close up of this really grotesque head 
that's I can't even ex- it was it freaked me the fuck out when I was a kid like it's so gross it looks like 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 if you were to grow like a clone it looks like it's like halfway to being a person it was and it was like breathing like oh my god <laughs> it was like the pod in existence it was like that like it was fucking it was it was gross did you ever find that bit freaky because that i mean even watching it yesterday i was like oh my god that's so gross <laughs> so gross oh hell yeah i had this movie as a kid on vhs that shows you how fucking old we are uh and every time that scene popped up where maggie says i'll leave you alone and the replacement droid pulls off the sheets and you see like his you know half cooked growing head it's really really unsettling it's tremendously tremendously unsettling um but i i do have something else to say about centauri when centauri leaves uh alex on the base and he sort of fucks off as you put it i really love the character cork that the writer put in that centauri is a fucking cheapskate <laughs> because because the, the the next time that we see him he is negotiating with somebody and then after alex sort of says hey i, re- I really don't belong here centauri is negotiating something with so- some other guy and he sort of just takes what he's trying to negotiate and he fucks off. So I love the fact that they kind of put that little cork into Centauri that is a fucking cheapskate. And he 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 like wants to like like accumulate wealth or something. I don't know. I don't know if you picked it up at all, but I did uh when I saw this film earlier uh tonight for me. Yeah, Centauri's a total cheapskate. I I I mean, I don't know what that has to do with the story. I don't think it has anything to do with the story because he's not in it that much. Like he just, he grabs Alex and then there's like two other subsequent scenes he's in and then that's it. So I I, I think even if you left that out, like it doesn't really bring much to the story in my opinion. You know, I think, I think, I mean, if, if, if I was going to rewrite this story just a little bit, I would have, I mean, I mean, this would really undercut Maggie's story, but if I knew I wanted to do this from the up, from, from the get go, I would have given her a little bit more meat while she was in the trailer park. I would have brought Maggie up with Alex from the start. And, and oh no, I wouldn't have done that. Yeah. I, but hold up, hold up, hold up. I would, I I would have actually, I would have, you know, before before I would have done that, I would have given her uh, much. I, I I would have I would have I, I would have done a lot more with her on the trailer park, and then I would have brought her up with Alex because I really thought, uh, unlike you, I thought that Maggie got underused in this film, and I I really didn't see much of an arc for Maggie in this film. So that's why I would have written her differently in the scenes in the trailer park and I would have brought her up with Alex and have her experience uh, what Alex is experiencing uh, in space, so to speak, because I did not like the way that uh, Maggie's character was handled in this film. I think that's where I think, I think that's the major, I think that's the major dividing point in this film for me and you uh, that I'm sure we're going to get into at some point. 
Yeah, I I think for me, I wouldn't have done that. I would have kept it how it is because when I write heroes, I feel like the hero's journey do, so let's try that again. I feel like the hero's journey is done alone. It's solitary. Because mm-hmm. if you have someone with you, if he had Maggie there, it's a safety net. It's it's someone that he knows. It's someone that can comfort him. Whereas the hero's journey is all about overcoming fears. Not to say that he wouldn't have done that with her there. Maybe she would have been a support to him. Maybe it could have been done that way, which has been which has been done a lot of times. But for me, the way that I write, the, the hero is solitary. And like we, me with writing heroes that do research and stuff like that, the hero does everything on their own. And the only reason they can, the only way they can overcome fears and really become the person that they need to become is alone. So I like the fact that she's not there giving him support saying, it's okay, you can do it, you can do it when, you know, he doesn't need it. Does he needs, I mean, look, how many times have I said this to you? Like, you don't need what you think you need. You're strong enough to do it on your own. And I love, I love the fact that he doesn't have anyone. He doesn't know anyone. All he has is him. And through the, through the course of the movie, you see him overcoming fears. You see him becoming who he's meant to be, not relying on anyone, not needing anyone, not having anybody's support. He's on another fucking planet. I don't even know if he's in this galaxy. All he has is himself. And it really shows character. If you can do that on your own, you can do anything. So I like that Maggie wasn't there. I I think she would have been a hindrance to him because I think heroes should do things on their own because it, it makes them stronger, just like in real life. Okay. So now we're back to Alex on the space station on planet Rylos. And he starts, he's walking through the space station. He's been told where to go. And he see he starts to see things from the game. He starts to see ships from the game, and he's like, "That's from my game." And so you, you just subtly, and so as the audience, as the viewer, you're going, "Okay," because you kind you still don't know what's going on. You're still fucking confused at this point. Um, and he's still not panicking. He's still in the, "Is this real? Is this not real? I don't know what's going on. I'm not going to panic because he's set up as a character that doesn't panic. So it wouldn't it wouldn't make sense. And I hate that when characters are set up one way and then something happens and they panic and you're like, but they didn't set that up. (laughs) They didn't set that up at like that character wouldn't panic. It's like, it's like setting up Lara Croft and then something comes out and she panics. Like, no, they have not set Lara Croft up to panic. So I like the fact that he's not panicking and he's not doing any of that. And then he sits down. Um, I think he has a conversation with, with, Centauri. For, oh, that's when Centauri's playing that game and you find out he's like a hustler. Um, we find out that the Starfighter game that Alex is playing is actually a test to find real life Starfighters. Starfighters. And you're like, oh, it's a, t- it's a test to find. And you, uh, when I was a kid, it blew my mind. I was like, oh my God. And I like, I was thinking if I played an arcade game and I got the top score, <laughs> um, is that going to happen? <laughs> like, depending on what I'm like, am I going to get recruited for like a, like a police officer? If I like top some gun game or something like some police game, <laughs> I don't know. I was a kid, but I just thought that that storyline was so cool. And then Centauri starts to explain yeah, I designed the game 
to find Starfighters, but that actual arcade game was supposed to go to Vegas. I don't know why it went to kind of like bumfuck nowhere, but it did. And he's like, I guess the universe knew kind of where it was supposed to go. And it's funny because everybody around him, they like Centauri, but they think he's kind of a dick. They're kind of like, what, you know, like he does, he, he's unconventional. He's a nice guy, but he's just like, nah. like you wouldn't sit down and kind of have lunch with him, but they don't hate him, but they kind of have a love hate relationship with him. Um, he's, he's just kind of like that person that's there that people tolerate and everybody's going, Oh my God, you brought a human here. And he's trying to explain it. And they're like, Oh my God, you, you done fucked up. And he's like, no, he beat the game. And they're like, who cares about a game? And he's like, no, but I designed it. Blah, blah, blah. Like he's trying to explain it. And all these alien species are like, yeah. Cause Alex doesn't look like a starfighter. He looks like a skinny 18 year old kid that doesn't know up from down. And so they're looking at him like, Oh, okay. And the next scene, so he sits down, Alex sits down, and he gets a briefing by by the Emperor. And in the middle of the, the briefing, um, Zer gets introduced. Zer is the bad guy. He's he he's the villain, and he comes up. And when I was a kid, I love and I still love this now, even though the graphics are not great. He comes up as a big holographic head, like right in the middle of the fucking room. Like, and I'm like, that is so cool. And he's got this really unnaturally big forehead and like this little bit of hair that goes around the back and whoever they got to play him I don't know who that act is but that actor is so awesome so he just appears in the middle of this monologue the emperor is giving giving the starfighters he's a floating head and what did you what did you do you love that scene (laughs) I love that scene I found it you know you know that scene is really great because that scene really establishes that uh that guy does not fuck around and did did you find it funny before he shows up for some reason the director of this film thought it would be a good idea to to add wind into the into the space where the head shows up and I'm like wind do they have fucking do they have vents open or something do they have space windows open or something oh, I before, did not notice the wind <laughs> I didn't notice before before Zerg shows up like a half a second before Alex's hair starts moving and there's this wind effect that happens and i'm like what the fuck is that they're in space maybe it's like the hologram when it appears it's like windy <laughs> I don't know. i'm grasping yeah. i don't fucking know i don't know i can't explain oh, that one i'm glad i didn't notice it otherwise it would be a fucking nitpick yeah but anyway no but i no but no but i think that this uh scene does two things it establishes that that the alex is way over his fucking head that he shouldn't be there in the first place and secondly, it establishes that this guy Zerg uh, is not fucking around, because this guy Zerg is the son of the guy uh, of the of the general who is leading the resistance against Zerg. So you you have that fa- you have that familial dynamic. So I like that very much. But the thing that I like the best in this scene is the is the fact that. Um, the the commander of this resistance sent a spy to get some information from Zerg. And Zerg ended up capturing him. And this guy melted his fucking brain. Oh yeah. Melted all over the goddamn place. Laser. <laughs> yeah. But that's you know, but that's not that's not the best part. The best part is we get to see it. And yeah. as a kid, I fucking love that so much. Yeah. I loved it, but it terrified. <laughs> 
it I loved it, but it also scared the shit out of me. Yeah, I was like, he's melting his brain. It, it is so terrifying to hear this guy scream. And it, it, it sort of just sits there and it echoes with you. It's just so, so great. And then, you know, and you know, and then the next scene um that you see is Centauri going, Oh, this is fun. It's gonna be great. And I'm like, no, this is not gonna be fucking great. Fucking uh, die. I love Centauri, I love Centauri. So um you know I like correcting you, right? <laughs> I swear to God, I'm going to come off as such an asshole, but I'm not, I don't, listen, I don't live, I only correct him because it's hilarious. I don't go around, I'm not like a correction Nazi, okay, I don't correct everybody, it's just, it's just Marcelo. Hold up, hold up, I just want to say, guys, just so, just so you don't like, 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 you know, burn her at the stake, (laughs) you guys need to know that I love her. It's fine, okay? It's in it's, it's in love. It's not it's not in hate or anything like that. He's the only one I correct because I, it's hilarious. <laughs> so, um, Zerg is the villain from Toy Story, okay? Zerg, <laughs> Zerg which is X U R Zer without the G. This is our villain, okay? So Zerg, people are going to be like, oh, the Toy Story villain, which could be the same, but it's not. So that's all I just wanted to say about that. And let me just say the makeup design in this movie is so great. There's no CG on the makeup, okay? Every single alien you see is prosthetics and I think is done, like for 1984, even for now, I think it's just amazing. Like like Krieg's makeup is so good. Like it's just, it's, it's, it's flawless. Did you like the makeup design of, of the characters? Cause I just think it was fucking awesome. Yes, yes, yes. The makeup design was top notch in this, in this movie. And you don't really get that anymore. Like, like today, if this movie was made, these guys would probably be CGI or it would be, it, it would be a lackluster makeup job, but the makeup design, the set design in this movie, everything is done with such care. It might not be, to, to today's standards with visual effects, let's let's be honest, it's not. But everything is done with such love and care that not that movies like this don't get made anymore, and it's just a shame. Yeah, it is. It is a shame. But lucky we've got movies like this too. If we want to go back and kind of look at how things were done, so Zer is introduced now. Zer gives us vital information we need. Because Alex has been brought in as a starfighter, but he doesn't like what's he fighting? We don't at this point, we don't know why they're they're recruiting starfighters. But when Zer comes in, and as villains do, I've said this before, they fucking say their whole fucking story as if the as if the like general guy doesn't already know the story. But I mean it's for exposition. I get that. That's fine. I have no issues with that. So the whole thing with Zer, bad guy, blah 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 blah. So Zer was once one of them because uh, he's the, the son of the general that's giving the speech to all the starfighters. Now Zer got to a point where he thinks Star League, so they're in Star League. The starfighters are recruited for Star League. Um, he thinks Star League is weak and he wants to take over. He wants to rule Rylos, which is the planet that they're on, and the starfighters need to defend the planet and a starfighter base from Zer because Zer is power hungry. He wants to take over. He thinks he'd do a better job at ruling it. 
Um, and then that's when the footage of the spy comes in and you kind of get a gist, okay, this guy's not fucking around. Like if, if you're captured by this guy, he will literally melt your brain. So I like, he gives exposition, but it's needed. So you go, okay, you know why Alex was recruited. You know why the starfighters, you know what they're fighting for. You know what they're fighting against. You know the stakes, you know what they have to do. So I thought that that, and it was a short scene. It was like a couple minutes. I thought that couple minutes scene, all the information was brought front forwards. So as a viewer, you go, oh, this is what's going on. So the Starfighters have to protect the Star League against Zer and the Kodan Armada, which is his armada. So I, I, I love that scene. And after that scene, I thought it was funny because Alex was like, yeah, not going to do this. <laughs> and Satari was like, uh, you sure? He goes, uh, no. And so the next scene is basically Centauri taking Alex home in the flying DeLorean because Alex is like, I'm not doing this. Like, this is not my fight. I'm not doing it. Um, so he kind of, he kind of takes him, takes him home. But that whole scene with, with Zer and the exposition was great. Is there anything more you want to say about this? Um, and then I'll, I'll move on to the next scene. No, um, I is, I mean, it, I mean, uh, after after that scene, don't we get a don't we get a a, a better look at the villain of uh, of this piece where where he asks us, where he asks for a scepter? Does that come later? Because I don't. This is the next scene that I was that I'm going to talk about. So after Alex okay, is so, flown home okay, by Sen- yeah yeah after Alex is flown home by Centauri after he sees Zura and goes fuck that I'm not doing this. We go to a place called the Frontier. This is where Zur is. So we see his base of operations. We see him wearing all black. We see all his lackeys. So we, we think they're lackeys around him, you know, wearing wearing red. We think that he's like this this, this ruler that everybody kind of bowed, bows down to. And we find out everybody basically fucking hates him and can't stand him. <laughs> and you're kind of like, oh, isn't he like their ruler? But no, 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 no. They don't like him. They're using him. They Zuri is the only one that knows where the Starfighter base is, and so they kind of tolerate him. Uh, they, he, yeah. I, I, I find that scene so funny because you go to his ship and you're like, oh, he's the, he's the head honcho, and everybody around him is kind of like, oh, this fucking guy, this fucking guy. Like, when can we fucking kill this guy? And they're like, no, no, no. He knows where the Starfighter base is. And I just find that so fucking funny. Um, the next scene is not so funny, though, is when is when Zer fires torpedoes at the Starfighter base and basically decimates 90% of it and all of the Starfighters on it. Um, but, yeah, that's the – oh, and sorry, I forgot the scepter. The scepter is funny because it looks shit. I mean, even for the 80s, it looks shit. It looks like it's got wings, like dragon wings, and then it's got this blade that comes. I don't I don't know what the point is. I don't know what the scepter does. I don't know. I I can't even remember if it's like used. I don't I don't know. Uh, do you have anything to say on the on the amazing 80s scepter? No, that scepter was fucking stupid. Um I I really I really thought that Zer coming on to, you know, Zer, you know, being revealed as the emperor and he's supposed to be the the grand leader of these fucking people was funny, but I really would have preferred if Zerg would have been, you know, this more like powerful force instead of this fucking mousy little son of a bitch who everyone was using to get to, you know, you know, 
was using for uh, a means to an end, basically. Because this, the second he starts with the scepter, he starts whining about he's the only one that knows what a starfighter base is. And I'm like, do you really need this motherfucker? I mean, somebody could grab him right now and just basically choke him to death and eventually torture the information out of him. Like, so why is he here? Because he, he comes off to me as a whiny son of a bitch guy that any one of these motherfuckers who is under him could have taken him and just tortured the information that they, that they needed out of him. So for me, the reveal of his true character wasn't funny. That just pissed me off. Do you know why they did yeah. that? Okay, why did they do that? Because it's a kid's movie. That's why they did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> again, look, look, again, again, I I love this movie because I grew up with it, but seeing it, but seeing it with my adult eyes in my in my you know, in my screenplay in my screenplay writer brain, you know He could have been done better. He could have been done yeah. better. Yeah, I all, agree. Yeah, all I'm saying is that he could have been done better. That's all I'm trying to say. He could have, he, yeah. I mean, like, even though it is a kid's movie, he could have been done uh, a little bit better because it's kind of off-putting that, oh, he's not this big bad. He's kind of just a joke, basically. Um, so Zer finds out one starfighter has escaped. I don't know how he knows, but he knows. One starfighter has escaped. Yeah. And Zer is not happy. This is what I've written down. Zer not happy. The sister has like this thing that goes up. It's like a metal rod. So fucking stupid, but it's funny. It's like a knife, isn't it? A knife that like springs up in the middle. For what yeah. reason? I don't fucking know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's, I don't know. But I'm telling you, if when that movie, not when it came out, but when, when I saw that movie, if they had, if, if you could buy those things, I would have fucking bought one from Toys R Us. I would have 100% <laughs> bought one and be like, I got a fucking scepter and you don't. Okay. <laughs> so the next scene after that, Centauri drops off Alex um, on Earth at his trailer park and gives him like a tracker thing and says, listen, in case you change your mind, and Alex is like, yeah, I'm not going to change my mind. I'm not doing that. It's not my fight. And he goes, yeah, but just keep it in case you change your mind. You never know. And there's there's two lines of dialogue, which I loved. It might be my favorite in the entire movie because it says so much by saying so little. Alex says, I'm just a kid from a trailer park. And Centauri says, if that's what you think, then that's all you'll ever be. And, oh, my God, like I'm getting chills just saying it. You know, that line was so was was poetry and that line triggered me. So anyway, Alex um, goes to his house and goes to get into bed and kind of goes, what the fuck? And, you know, his clone is already there. Now, we see his clone is not all fucked up grotesque. We see he looks exactly like Alex. And he's just like, I, look, to be honest, I have loved Alex's reaction um, so far. But listen, if I went to bed and I found me in my bed, I would have a little bit more of a reaction than he had. Um, I would be scared. Like, uh, but in saying that, with everything Alex has just endured, maybe he's just like, "Oh, what the fuck is this?" Then <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I would have more of a reaction. But then we find out that um, he says he's a beta, and he's an exact duplicate duplicate of Alex, and he's left there, you know, while I, Alex goes and and does the the star fighting, you know, so his family doesn't freak out, and. He says, well, how did you get here? And he said, uh, you shook hands with me in the car. 
And so you go, oh, so by shaking hands with him in the car, he kind of he kind of handed over his his DNA in order to create this clone, which I think is such a cool idea. Such a cool idea. It, he says, I'm a courtesy replacement while you're away. And I was like, oh, that's nice. I've never seen that done in a movie before. I that's so nice. But um I, I loved that scene where Alex is talking to Alex. And for the 80s, like they filmed it in a way where you believed it. Like you believe that he was talking to him. Like, you know, sometimes it's like uh, they don't film it right, especially in the 80s, but they filmed it really well. I love the conversation that they had. Again, I thought Alex was a bit too calm for seeing his clone, but um, what are your thoughts on that scene before we uh, go to the next one? He should have wigged out. He really, really, really should have wigged out a lot more. I thought that he was a little, little bit too calm. Okay, so the next scene is a stranger arrives at the trailer park and he gets out of a truck and he's kind of he kind of lifts his jacket and he's packing an alien weapon. And so you're like, okay, this this guy's not from Kansas. He's 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 obviously from from outer space. Now, something interesting happens. He he walks past the Starfighter arcade machine. And as he walks past it, the arcade machine kind of kind of shoots out these energetic like light things to his face and kind of morphs his face into the human into sorry he is human into the alien creature that he is and i want to ask you the only thing i can surmise from that for that is that the game was outing him so he looked he was he looked human but when the game turned his face into an alien, that's who he, that's what he really looks like. So that's how I kind of got that. But I don't know if that's what it was. I I did not like that at all. I thought that was writer's convenience to, to tell us that this guy who just stopped there for no apparent reason was a bad guy. The only, the only reason that I could justify it as a writer is by saying, oh, this game has a, this game has a uh, safety feature that if an alien that is recognizable as a threat by the person who made this game, those lights will reveal, tr- you know, uh, uh, the 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 bad guy's real form or the alien's real form in this case. But that really didn't make sense to me from a writer's perspective. I would have written that differently, um, like. Like, for example, I would have had the oxygen and the atmosphere affect him and have that turn him into an alien instead of the game itself. Yeah, I don't know where I would have gone with that. I liked it. I mean, yeah, it's right as convenience, but I don't know, like Centauri, like that's not a regular arcade machine. So it could have things in it, like if somebody walks past posing as a human but isn't, maybe it has a thing that detects it. And shows their true form. So that I can kind of I can kind of get behind. So anyway, after that, there's a fight between the alien and Alex. Um, the alien's trying to trying to kill Alex, and then Alex is pressing the kind of the beeper button that Centauri gave him. Centauri shows up, arrives, and explains that this alien, after he kills the alien, explains that the alien is a bounty hunter sent from Zer to kill Alex. And says, look, there's going to be more that's going to kind of come after you. And then uh, we think the alien is dead, but the alien is actually not dead, as nobody's dead. I mean, (laughs) 
listen, in, in, in movies, if you don't lop off somebody's head, they're not dead, honestly. <laughs> Even if you shoot them in the head, they're not fucking dead. If you don't see them die, if you don't physically see them die on screen right in front of your fucking face, they're not dead. Yeah. I mean, look, I don't know why Laurie Strode has not cut off Michael Myers' head. Every time she kills him, she's like, oh, I stabbed him. That's enough. That'll do it. And I'm like, what? this is the 10th movie where you've done that. You need to cut his fucking head off, right? Okay, but that's that's for another discussion on Halloween, which we're not talking about. Okay, so moving on. So anyway, Centauri, <laughs> Centauri is explaining all this shit to him, and he says... <laughs> And so Alex, (laughs) I mean, I'm right, right? Fuck. Those Halloween movies ship me. Don't take this out. That's hilarious. (laughs) You know what we should do? We should call it the Kirby rule. What? What's the Kirby rule? Yeah. The Kirby rule. If you don't actually see somebody... They're not dead. Scream. Yeah, it's the Kirby rule. Yeah, they're not dead. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I should leave this in. Uh, anyway, onward. Okay, so Alex and Centauri are having um, a discussion, and then Alex decides to go back to Planet Rylos to the Starfighter base uh, with with Centauri to help him fight because you know Centauri's just said there's going to be so many other bounty hunters after you, and he kind of he do, he kind of doesn't want to go, but he's kind of like, well, uh, you know, if I'm here, it's dangerous. So at this at this point, neither of them know that the base has kind of been destroyed. Like not all of it has been destroyed, but most of it. And nobody knows that he's the last Starfighter, which is like what, the name of the fucking movie. But nobody knows. Anyway, Centauri, Cent, I, yeah, Centauri. I keep calling him Centauri. I don't know. That's from some other movie. I don't know. Centauri. I had to write it down with an A, not a U. Anyway, um, we kind of get back to the base and we find out, well, they find out because we already know, they find out that the base is destroyed and he finds out officially he is the last Starfighter, which kind of gave me chills because that's the name of the movie <laughs> and you kind of don't know why that's the name of the movie until that scene. Um, and then Centauri dies from the bullet wound, or so we think. Um and, and, you know, Alex, Alex has kind of become close to Centauri and then he decides he's going to fight, um, with everything he's been through, he's going to fight. Now, I don't, I don't know if what has happened to Alex is enough to shift his mind because five minutes ago he was like, this is not my fight. Now the bounty hunter has come and Centauri has died. And now he's like, I'm going to fight. I, I don't, I'm on the fence with this one. I'm not sure if that's enough for me to convince me that he wants to fight. Um, what are your thoughts on that, on that shift, my shift? See, this is why I wanted to bring Maggie. Because I would have used Maggie. <laughs> no, don't laugh at me. Maggie. Oh, don't back fucking to fucking Maggie. Mm-hmm. Don't fucking laugh. I, 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 <laughs> I, I would have used Maggie being on the base to as as a as a driving force to give Alex's character enough motivation to do what he needs to do. I wouldn't have only used Centauri, I would have used the fucking Maggie thing as well. That's what I would have done. But I just want to mention here the guy because because the the the, the evil emperor fucker with the with the scepter 
you know, rock Zer, whatever his fucking name is, uh, <laughs> throws throws meteors at the at the at the base and it blows up. But I want to mention here the guy that Centauri uh, tries to rip off is the is he's a he's a fucking mole because he places a bomb. Oh on yeah, the consoles. Yeah, on you know you know you know on the base. So you know I I feel that that's a part that we sort of glossed over. But that's important to notice that Zer had a, a mole in the last Starfighter base. So, um, so, so I thought that was an important thing that we went over. But I do agree with you that Alex needed more motivation for wanting to fight. And that's why, again, that's why I would have used, I, I would have I anchored Alex's decision mainly because of, Maggie just died. That's why, you know. Died? You gonna kill her? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, I would have killed her. Wow, I would have, I would have kidnapped her, but not killed her. That would have, that would have been better. I would have. No, 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 no. You can't change your mind. She's dead. For you, your script, Maggie's dead. Okay, that's it. You can't change. That's the inciting incident that I would have used to draw Alex into the fight. Yeah, but again, it's a kid's movie. You can't kill Maggie. It's a kid's movie. You got nothing. It's a kid's movie. That's it. I got nothing. <laughs> Onward again. I mean, guys, I mean, guys, don't you don't you see the abuse I take? <laughs> I just take abuse. Every oh, bit of it is warranted, though. <laughs> I live. I, I, I live. I you know. I live to be corrected by this woman. Where are we? Boba, Centauri, yeah, he dies, he's dead. Alex wants to fight, which, yeah, I don't know, motivation, I don't know about that. But anyway, um, he gets he gets uh, all suited up and he gets in the ship and he's with someone named Krieg, which is the guy from Star Trek. And he's kind of been in and out of the story, but he hasn't been a major character. Krieg is the um, pilot. Is he the, the navigator pilot of the ship? Navigator. navigator. So he's the navigator. And Alex is on the uh, weapons. What do you call it? Weapons, weaponry. He's uh, he's uh, the weapons. He's weaponry, and the, he's the helmsman. He drives. Right, right. Um, he's a pilot. Who? Alex is the pilot. Alex isn't the pilot. Krieg yeah, is. Krieg not, is the. Alex not. doesn't fly the ship. He just shoots shoots the bad guys. He doesn't fly it. Because when Krieg, okay. do you remember when Krieg is flying? And he flies them into the cave. Like Alex, oh, yeah, that's right. Alex isn't doing right. it. He's he's Alex's weapons. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah Alex's yeah. weapons and Krieg is the pilot. So 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 Krieg is the pilot and the navigator. Yes, and Alex yes. Is just he's just weapons because in the game, in the Starfighter game, that's all he did. He didn't fly anything. He was just weapons. So and it's really really cool because when it boots up, he's got a screen in front of him that looks exactly like the game. And you're like, oh, and when the ships come out, they look like the game. And so, and then he looks at the controls and the controls are exactly like the game. And he's like, oh, these, these controls are like the game. And so he kind of, you kind of get, oh, he's going to be really good at this because it's exactly like the game, which is why Centauri um, made the game as, as close to the real thing as possible. So there would be no confusion. I really like that when he starts noticing, fuck, this is exactly like the game, I just I I I, I love that. Um, sorry, I was wrong before. This is when he finds out he's the last starfighter because he's asking, "Okay, cool. Where are all the other starfighters?" And Krieg goes, 
uh, there aren't any, you're the last starfighter. And he's like, wait, we're going to take on an entire armada, just me and you. And he's like, and Krieg's like, yeah, we can do it. And Krieg's so fucking positive. Like, he's like, yeah, don't worry about it. We can do it. You're the last starfighter. Don't worry about it. And he's like, no, but <laughs> no, but we're going to take out like an entire armada. Like an entire, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll be fine. You're a good, you're a good. And, <laughs> and Alex is like, freak. this is the first time he's actually like freaked out for the whole movie. And I'm like, rightly fucking so. Like, imagine taking on, like, I don't know, like, the Death Star on your own. Like, your one little pissy ship taking on... Like, it's just, like, you just couldn't. Because, yeah, so I understand Alex's kind of fret at this. But um, he he gets a... There's a there's kind of like a lone ship and Krieg goes, test it out, test just get a feel for the controls, test it out, and just destroy destroy the ship that's kind of peeled off from the armada. And he kind of shoots it and shoots it and he kind of fails and then like he eventually gets it, but he kind of just doesn't get it as quick as he kind of should have, and then he kind of starts getting down on himself because he's kind of failed to show himself that he's a starfighter. Like everybody's been telling him, you're a great starfighter. You're a great starfighter. You're great. Blah, blah, blah. And now he's done it in real life. And he's kind of like dropped the ball. And then the pilot Krieg kind of tells him a little, we get a little bit of backstory on Krieg, whether we needed it or not. I don't know. I don't think we needed it. He tells him about his family and how the reason he fights is because Zer has enslaved his entire family and kind of Alex kind of goes, Oh, okay. Okay. And, um, yeah, but, but any thoughts on that scene before I, I move on? No, the only thing I will say about that scene is, um, you know, with, with every film that we have talked about on the show so far, there's always one one or two scenes where I go, okay, this is the one big ask of the movie. And with this movie, I go, it really doesn't make sense that Alex, that there's no fucking way that Alex and Krieg would be able to survive against, you know, the the, the bad guy's entire armada. That, that whole thing is ridiculous it's just so stupid and alex is within his right to just freak out because all the positivity in the world isn't gonna isn't gonna you know isn't gonna take away the fact that the only ship that remains is this one ship from this guy who doesn't really believe him who from this from this guy who got recruited from a video game I'll let it go, but it really doesn't work in screenplay, you know, vernacular. The the backstory with uh, the his you know his navigator, you know, telling him the story about his wife and kids. It's not really necessary, but it's there because it's there, and that that's another thing that I let go. But I could have I could have done without that, to to be yeah. honest. And at this point of the movie. I would have had Alex, you know, kind of go, fuck it. I'm here. I'm going to, I'm, uh, I'm going to earn my, you know, starfighter badges, so to speak by a suicide run. So at this point I would have had Alex go, fuck it. Either I'm going to live or I'm going to die. So at this point I would have written it a little bit differently to, to, to give Alex that suicide bomber sort of deal, but not in a way because it's a kid's movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I was, I don't know. I don't want to 
think about riding it differently. But yeah, I mean, look, having one ship against an entire armada, um, including That's a huge, ridiculous. like it's it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Even if he is like a good starfighter, like it's you, you're outgunned. <laughs> like you just you can't. So anyway, some more enemy ships emerge, and Alex kind of just gets the hang of it and decimates them. And he kind of gains a little bit of confidence from that. And he kind of thinks maybe I can do this. Like maybe if I just put my head down and just go, okay, this is where I am. This is who I am. This is what I've trained for on the game. Maybe I kind of can do this. Now, after that, I don't know if I like this or not um, because I love the movie. It's hard for me to kind of judge, but the movie starts going back and forth um, between Alex on the ship, on his ship and his beta on earth. I thought that there was too much of the beta. I didn't think, uh, look, uh, I don't care because it's in the movie, but I felt like there was just, it, it wasn't really warranted. I mean, there's a scene where, you know, Maggie goes, come on, Alex, let's, let's go to, let's go to the beach. And there's this, this is entire scene where he's in the car with the, with Maggie, with everybody. And it's like a five minute scene and she's trying to tell him to be normal. And he's like trying to be normal and he's not normal. And um, then they get to the, they get to the campsite or Silver Lake and, you know, she doesn't, he doesn't know what to do. And she's like, what the fuck? And then the bounty hunter shows up and, and shoots him and, and he goes, no, I'm a robot. Like, I'm not real. Like, I don't want to, I'm sick of this pretending. And then he gets shot and you can see his belly is like a robot. Um, and Maggie's reaction is not a reaction. Like if, if, if somebody I was in a relationship with got shot and they were a robot, I'd, I'd, mm, I don't know. I feel like her reaction was a bit like nonchalant. Like it was a bit like, oh, okay. And then they get in a car and they kill the bounty hunter. Like, it's just a bit like, oh, I, I kind of wanted to stay with Alex in the ship. I didn't, I felt like there was no need to kind of come back down to earth. Uh, what about, what are your feelings on that, that dynamic of the shifting? I did not, I did not like that shift from going to Alex in space and going back to Maggie with uh, the replacement robot of Alex on Earth. The only thing that I can surmise is those scenes really served. The the only thing that I can surmise is the reason why the writer put that those scenes in there was to make the audience understand that Maggie still loved Alex, even though that she wasn't with Alex. And that bolsters her decision later on in the film. But I could have uh, done without them for sure. Yeah, well, I mean, look, there was a re there was a reason they did that, and this is not in my trivia, but I'll tell you now. The reason they put in so many scenes with the beta is because when they did the test screenings with the Last Starfighter, all the people that saw the movie wanted to see more of the beta because they thought that he was like the comic relief, and so that's why if you watch those scenes with um the actor playing the beta, you'll see his hair's really like weird. It's like long, it's weird. It doesn't stay up. It's because they shot those scenes way after the movie was shot. And so they had to put a wig on him to, to do that because the test audiences were like, Oh, we want more of the beta. So that's why that shit's in there. But originally it actually wasn't in there. And I'd love to see that cut of the movie. Yeah. So all the beta stuff was just reshoots then. I guess, yeah. Right? It reshoots. Okay. Yep. Okay. Okay. That explains a lot. That explains a lot. Because I did, I, I did notice something funky with his, with his hair. So yeah, me too. So anyway, moving on with the story. Um, so Zer's men, or the or the Kodan Armada, 
um, the guys that kind of can't stand Zer, they don't know that there's one last Starfighter. So Zer's been sending body like bounty hunters after after Alex, but they don't they don't know that he's doing that. So in this scene, they find out. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. You said that we have you. You're here to kill the Starfighters, so we can go to Rylos. Like that's your point, and. You're telling us there's one last starfighter that you didn't get. And Zer's kind of like, uh, and that's when Zer's men have literally had enough of his shit and <laughs> decide to arrest him throw him in the brig. Um, and I just thought it was, I mean, look, it was stupid, but I thought it was funny because they're like, no, fuck this guy. Like, but the thing is they didn't need him anyway. The only, the only reason they needed him is to destroy the starfighter base because he was the only one that knew where it was. They destroyed it. So why they didn't throw him away before is like beyond me. But I thought that scene was quite funny. They've, they're just like, Oh fuck this guy. Like fuck it. Get the, get him the fuck out of here. I, I thought that scene was hilarious. I like, you know, I like that scene quite a bit too, because I was like, just like you, you know, you know, the only reason that they kept this fucker around was because he's the only one that knew where the Starfighter base was. So the fact that it's now destroyed, I was like, thank, thank fucking Christ. Get rid of that fucker. Throw him in the fucking, you know, throw him in the fucking brig, stick him in an airlock, push the button, kill him. I don't care. Just get him off the fucking board because enough with his fucking ridiculous you know, self-aggrandizing shit. Get rid of that fucker. And so take I your like... fucking scepter with you. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I, yeah, I'll, look, look, look. As a kid, as a kid, Zerg, or what, or whatever his fucking name is, because I'm probably getting it wrong, played better for me. But as an adult, he's just fucking annoying. So I was really happy when they arrested that fucker and, you know, you know, you know, we got him off the board for the lack of a better word. Yeah. I don't know if I was happy. I just thought it was hilarious. Like the way that they did it was just so fucking funny. <laughs> so, yeah. so after that, I, I like the attack that Alex and Creek have now. Would it have worked in real life? Fuck no. But I like their thinking on it. So they're in a cave, <laughs> they're in a cave and they're, you know, they're, they're talking about how the fuck are we going to take it out? Because what they have to do, Krieg says is there is a there is a I think a uh, what is it a Tourette um what are they called I don't know there's something a Tourette right it's it's on it's underneath the the big kind of mothership and he says we need to take that out because that is what tells the ships where to go that's what gives the commands to the ships and just like in the game right and and Alex says how are we going to get through the armada there's hundreds of times hundreds like how are we going to get past it because we have to get past the Amada to get to this this turret that's that's underneath the ship. And so Alex comes up with an idea. He goes, wait a minute, because they're hiding in like a fucking space cave. I don't, I don't know where they are. They're they're in like a floating rock, whatever, a meteorite, whatever the fuck they are. And Alex says, Well, what if we wait for the Armada to pass and then we go behind them? And Creek was like, oh that's a good idea. I mean in theory maybe like, but it wouldn't work because as soon as they spot you, like, there's a hundred ships in you. You're gonna fucking die. Like that one shot, and you. Fu- I don't care how good Krieger is at fucking navigating. I don't care how good Alex is. You're gonna die. But anyway, it's a good. Look, it's a kids' movie, right? So it is. I think it's a good idea. So anyway, they do it. They go behind the armada, and then 
right when like he spots it, he goes, that's it. That's our target. And then the Armada spot him. And this is when, this is when Alex's skill of a starfighter really comes into effect and he plays it and it looks exactly like the game. All the graphics are the same. Everything is like the game. And he's just, he's just shooting boom, 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 every, every ship. And then he gets to the turret, he shoots it, he speeds off and I thought it was a little bit lackluster, like for a final scene, like they've G'd up this guy, Alex, as being the last Starfighter and he's the best. And I felt like this scene was a little bit lackluster. There wasn't really a fight. Um, it kind of just came and went. It was like, it was like two minutes. It was two minutes. And then, you know, he defeated everything. He defeated everyone. Um, you know, and it was just, it was, it was too easy for me. I do agree with you. Like, the writer did such a good job at building Alex up as a character and the final battle in this film was really lackluster and quick, I thought. It yeah. Just, yeah, it wasn't it just Yeah, it didn't it there was no payoff. It wasn't, it wasn't it wasn't satisfying at all. It was just sort of like, okay, the movie's over now and you just it was like it was really lame to be honest with you. Yeah. So the next scene is the um he's back at kind of Starbase Command or what's left of it, and the the Emperor or the General, whoever that guy is, thanks him for saving the planet, but says Zer has escaped, and they need to really rebuild the <laughs> rebuild the Starfighter Legion. And so it's like, oh, okay. Listen, Zer's escaped, yeah, but the only reason he had power is because he had the Armada. Now he has nothing. He has nobody and nothing. <laughs> is he really a threat? No, he's no. fucking not. So I don't know. I, I don't know. But anyway, um, there's a scene after that, which I think is the scene you were talking about where we see um, somebody walk into the room with a like a handkerchief over their face um and then it's revealed that it is it's centauri and he's alive and um alex is like but i saw you die but did you did you see him die but anyway he says that um kirby rule yeah his body just needed to repair itself so it looked like death but i mean like and it it makes sense because he's an alien so it doesn't not make sense it's like oh okay he's an alien maybe his body just kind of does that just repairs itself so now um we we go to back to the trailer park and everything's i don't know if everything's normal because there's the beta running around maggie has no like reaction to it <laughs> i'm like oh my god and then a spaceship starts coming down like a big ass spaceship and all the community runs out and it lands what? Wait, 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 doesn't doesn't the beta sacrifice himself? And doesn't Maggie oh. say, "I love you," right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. When they're at the when they're at the Silver Lake, and he's he takes the car and kills the bounty hunter, and he sacrifices himself. Sorry. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. I skimmed over that bit because yeah. I don't care. So there's a spaceship the that comes down, and they're all all the community, including Maggie, but not the beta because the beta is dead. Is standing there and. Alex comes down in like a like a little elevator thing, um, but you don't know it's Alex yet because he has a space helmet on and he's in his suit, and he walks off. and And Maggie, wa- I don't know why she walks up to this alien being. She just walks up. She doesn't know it's Alex. She just walks up to him, which I thought it's, thought is fucking weird. And he takes his helmet off, and it's Alex. And she hugs him, and everybody's like, "Oh my god, oh my god!" 
it's a really nice reunion scene between him, the community, Maggie, and they're kind of asking him questions and blah, blah, blah. And he kind of just kind of gives them the cliff notes on where he's been and what he's been doing. But um, this, he has a decision to make. So he can either stay on earth or he can be a starfighter. And you don't know, I don't know, at this point you kind of don't know where he's going to go because they need him. They've told him they need you to rebuild the Starfighter Legion, but he's got everything, you know, he's got his family, he's got Maggie, he's got everything. And it kind of, it kind of begs the question, you know, leave everything you've ever known for what you've always craved, you know, to get what you want, you have to give up what you have. It's that kind of thing. And I, I mean, I don't know, like for you, if you're in that position, like what would, what choice would you make? I think that if I was in that position and I, and, and I knew if I took that big leap as much as it, as much as it terrified me and as much as it made me uncomfortable, I would, I would notice that I I would have to take that leap because if I didn't take that leap, nothing would change. I wouldn't change. I still would want these things. So even though that leap, that big leap of changing my life, you know, making a movie or directing a movie or whatever would scare the shit out of me, I would take it because if I didn't take it, nothing would change. And I would be the same person I am, regardless of whatever experiences I just went through. So I understand why Alex made the choice that he did. And I understand why he asked Maggie to go with him. But then again, I, I I really didn't like the way that Maggie was written in this movie. I would have taken her down a completely different path. You would have killed her. But, <laughs> so yeah. Well, well, she would have been dead. Yeah, she wouldn't I, have even been there when Alex Alex would have come home. He would have gone, "Where's Maggie? <sighs> dead. <laughs> She's fucking dead." <laughs> I would have done what Alex ultimately decided to ultimately decided to do. Yeah, um, I would too. Uh, I, I, I like. I wouldn't even hesitate. So yeah, he he wants Maggie to go with him, and at the start of the movie, Maggie was scared to even leave the trailer park to go to another city. You know, and he was saying, "You're scared? Oh, I'm not scared." Blah blah blah. You know, what about my grandmother? What about this? What about that? And at the end of the movie, he says, "Look, I can't stay here. I have to go. I want you to come with me. But regardless, I have to go." Like, and it wasn't about, it wasn't about, you know, I don't love you. It was about, I have a kind of higher calling. I have to do this. And like you said at the beginning, sometimes we, what we want is given to us in ways that we don't foresee. Like he wanted to get out. That's all he wanted. And he got it. He didn't get it in the way that he expected, but he got something so much. He got something far better than what he, all he wanted to do was go to a college in another state and kind of live out his life. And what he got was so much better than, than what he wanted. And I kind of do think that that's what, how the universe works. If you don't get what you want, you're going to get something like fucking way better. So anyway, he says he wants Maggie to go with him and she's scared of leaving what she knows. She's scared of leaving her comfort zone. But as he as he says to her, you know, goodbye, I don't know when I'm going to be back, he gets on the ele- elevator and he goes to push the button and you see in her face 
right there and then the mind shift and she realizes that her love for him is stronger than her fear which is beautiful because you can see she's scared but you can see that her love overrides her fear and she decides fuck it I don't know where I'm going I don't know what I'm gonna do I don't know anyone but him but I love him and I want to be with him and I'm going to go with him. And the final scene of the movie is Lewis, which is um, Alex's younger brother, standing at the Starfighter machine. And so you kind of get a gauge, okay, he may be the next Starfighter in the line. And then that's it. End of movie. Uh, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a really, really great ending and i really like that when maggie comes to that realization that her love for alex outweighs her fear she the director does something really cool he just shows a quick shot of maggie looking back at her grandmother and her grandmother gives her a look of like okay you can go now and she goes off and she joins alex um you know on the space elevator and they go up and the last shot of the movie like you said is lewis there at the uh, Starfighter video game, getting ready to play. By the way, now uh, now we come to our favorite part in our podcast episode. In our uh, now we come to Dean's favorite part of uh, the podcast trivia. I didn't fucking forget. Is it not your? <laughs> is it not your favorite part as well? Because you said it's my favorite part, but is it is it not your favorite part as well? Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, you know, um, just FYI, Dean puts a lot of work into these shows i mean i'm the motherfucker that just keeps the lights on uh, around here but dean puts a lot of her, her lifeblood into the shows that we do and my fair part is a trivia yes research 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 you know me i'm like a nazi for researching <laughs> i have to know so anyway here we go with the fantastical trivia i have for the last starfighter 1984 so the translator given to Alex when he arrives on the Starbase is actually a circuit board of a digital watch. Oh, that's cool. Cool, right? I was like, oh, okay. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't look like it, but it's cool. No, it's very cool. So the screenwriter of this movie was working as a cab driver when he wrote The Last Starfighter, which I love. <laughs> I love that. Wow. I love that so wow. much. Um, the film was shot in 40 days. Oh, my God. That is economical, man. I mean, we just talked about existence. Um, yeah. No, well, well, yeah, existence. Yeah, was it? Was, yeah, we, and, you know, and that film was uh, shot economically as well. But this film, wow, 40 days, that's it? That's crazy. So something oh, crazy. A, a lot of people might not know, Will Wheaton is actually in the movie. Um, but they wait a minute. Yeah. Oh, hold on. Hold, what? On, hold on a minute. Um, they actually cut his speaking scenes, but he can be seen in the background in two scenes. Okay. I wait with bated breath. Where? Oh, I don't fucking know. <laughs> Did you write that down? Oh. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let me let me think. Because I remember it. Okay. The first scene is at the beginning. Um. In the when the camera's going in the community, I think he can be seen. He's like, I think he's like in a red shirt or something. He's in the background. And the second one, I think he's at the end when Alex comes down um, in the ship. He's like one of the ones in the background. I think maybe if you okay. paused it, you could see him, but he's there. Okay, okay, cool. Um, 
Robin Williams was offered the role of Zer. Wow, that would have mm. been so different. Yeah, but like, very, very different. yeah, I, I mean, I don't think I would have liked that because Zer's not even in it. What? How would? It's so underused. He would be so underused. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, no. Okay, this is the one. This is the one, people. This is the trivia that beats every other fucking trivia I've ever done on anything. Are you ready? To all my horror fans out there, you will know exactly who and what I'm talking about when I say this. The director of this movie, Nick Castle. Horror fans, you will oh know him, God. right? Oh my God. He is actually Michael Myers from the original Halloween movie. Get the fuck out of here, really? I swear to fucking God, he is the original, he is the shape, he's the original Michael Myers, he reprised his role as Michael Myers in the remake, 2018 remake, 2021 Halloween Kills, and the one that's yet to be released, 2022 Halloween Ends. He plays Michael Myers in all of those movies. Oh my, well, 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 the second you said the name, I was like, holy um, but wow, that is the best piece of trivia you've done yet uh, so far. When I oh. saw that, I was like, "Oh my god, that he's he's Michael Myers, <laughs> and he still wow. plays him now. How cool is that?" Wow, this, wow, this is wow. Uh, if I didn't love this movie um, enough already, I think that that piece of trivia just shot up my love for this movie that much more. That was amazing. One more piece of That's trivia. Um, Nick Castle actually also wrote the original screenplay for Escape from New York. Oh, cool. That's awesome. That is really, really awesome. So this guy is an all-rounder. He writes, wow. he directs, he acts. <laughs> he yeah. scares the shit out of people. But um, I think uh, that'll do it for this edition of the Mixtape Podcast. Um, if you're still here and if you're still listening – on behalf of my co-pilot, Dean, I would like to say thank you. And if you're if you're thinking about coming back uh, next week, all right. So I will. Okay. So I will say it's very near and dear to my heart for reasons that we will discuss. Uh, Prometheus. That's the film for next time. If you choose to join us, thank you very much. If you enjoyed this conversation at all, thank you very much. But until next time. If someone is kind enough to make you a mixtape one day, that must mean that they truly love you. The Mixtape Podcast is a Balloonhead Productions presentation.